Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning, Creekwood. This is from Luke chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, every, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all the flesh shall be the salvation of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. God is at work in so many ways at our church and in the world. There's often so much going on, we don't even see all the people and all it takes to respond to Christ's call. But one thing remains true in scripture and in life. Everything we do, no matter how small, is for the glory of God and Jesus Christ. Whether we know it or not, we are all part of God's supporting cast. Well, I want to offer another um, good morning and welcome to Creekwood United Methodist Church for worship this morning. And today is a very special Sunday. It is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and I know that we've got lots of folks that are going to be tuning on online and watching this later and maybe listening to it in the car on the way somewhere. Um, but if you're in the sanctuary here or you're watching a video, hopefully you see this altar behind me, which has been decorated for Thanksgiving. And if you remember, we did our um, All Saints Day Remembrance a few weeks ago, and those tags are up here. Um, Peggy Stapp, who does so many things around this church, took the time this week to make this for us for this Sunday. So if you see Peggy walking around, um, be sure and tell her thank you for the time that she spent um, working on this and even saving some pumpkins from the pumpkin patch. Um, we are so grateful for all of the ways in which we know all of you give so much of your time and your talents here at Creekwood. And Peggy's altar is a really great example of that. We know that this week, again, many of you are traveling, many of you are going to see family, and for some that's great and wonderful, and for others it's maybe awkward and a little complicated. And so on behalf of the entire staff, we want all of you to know that um, we are praying for you for whatever God might need to be um, giving to you in this season. So next week, we're going to begin our Advent sermon series called, Do You Hear What I Hear? And um, the staff has been practicing our singing voices this week. And there's a reason that none of us are in the choir. Um, it's true. Uh, but today, we're having a pre-Advent sermon. And so it's my pre-pre-Christmas sermon. Uh, and we are going to talk about John the Baptist. Now, thanks to children's time, you have a bit of a cheat sheet. And hopefully you know a few things about John the Baptist. But John the Baptist, like Katrina told us in children's time, wore many hats. So John the Baptist was John the miracle baby. 
He was conceived by two people that were so old they were thought to be barren. And his birth was told to his mom and to his dad by an angel, which parallels the story of Jesus' birth with a couple that is thought to not be able to have children because they're too young. And his birth is told by an angel as well. John, the son of a priest. John's dad, whose name is Zachariah, was a priest. But not only did he like wear the title of being a priestly person, but scripture tells us in Luke 1, 6, that John's mom and John's dad were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and the regulations of the Lord. John the Baptist was also John the cousin. Scripture tells us that Elizabeth, John's mother, was a relative of Mary, who is Jesus' mother. Now, in my family, we have a family reunion every year, and it's a little crazy. Um, And there are lots of different ways in which we're related to people that I really couldn't tell you, like second cousin on so-and-so's side, twice removed, step whatever. Um, We just say cousin if we don't know, right? If you're not an aunt or an uncle, you're a cousin. So John was Jesus' cousin if they were in the Lucas family, okay? But John not only was related to Jesus as a cousin, but in their adult lives, you can see the love between Jesus and John. When Jesus learns that John um, has been killed, that's one of the times that Jesus goes off by himself to pray and to mourn. John the Baptist was John the obedient. He knew that he was going to be second fiddle to Jesus. When John is baptizing people, he is saying to them, I am not the greatest thing that is going to happen to you, but there is someone better coming after me. And yet John, knowing that he wasn't going to be the greatest, still lived out his call. He was obedient to God. John the Baptist was John the preparer, if that's a word, John was preparing the way for Jesus, and Katrina told us the story in children's time that even when John was in his mom's belly, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was Lord. And any woman in here who has carried a baby in her belly knows that feeling the first time that that baby kicks. And John did that when he was near Jesus. John spent his adult life proclaiming the same thing he proclaimed even before he was born, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is something to kick and be excited about. And Jesus is something that we need to prepare for. But we're going to focus our attention today as John the Baptist was John the prophet. When you are studying your Bible, and hopefully you do, you should always be paying attention to the way in which Scripture orders things. Everything in here has been ordered intentionally and not always chronologically, even though the Bible does start with in the beginning and ends with in the end. (laughs) Everything in between there is not necessarily in order. Even in the individual books of the Bible, there are events that happen out of order. And it isn't just the Bible that um, in literature that does this, right? But at the beginning of Romeo and Juliet, what do you learn? They're both going to die at the end, right? It gives away the whole thing at the very beginning. And a lot of the books of the Bible do that as well. 
So if you look at, uh, some of you, if you have your Bibles in here and you want to open it up, uh, the table of contents of your Bible is really interesting the way that things are ordered in the different um, Old Testament and New Testament. And so the last 17 books of the Old Testament are known as the prophetic books. So you can find them, it's the last 17 right before you get to the New Testament. So if you're reading the Bible from front to back, you will read 17 books written by prophets before you get to the New Testament, most of which starts with John the Baptist anyways, who is also a prophet. Now, some of you may be a little bit um, cynical like me when you hear the word prophet or prophecy. Um, Postmodern culture has turned the word prophecy um, to mean like Harry Potter or um, someone that predicts events in the future, right? My history nerds might think of Nostradamus and his crystal ball predicting the future. Conspiracy theorists might think about Y2K and that freak out. And anybody who was attending the movies in 2011 or 12 remembers the theory that the Mayans said the earth was going to run into a black hole in 2012. But this is not the kind of prophecy we're talking about. Biblical prophecy is different. Biblical prophecy, prophecy always centers around people. Prophecy is a word given from God to a prophet to give to a group of people but it's not in the way that you might think. Prophecy in the Bible is not predicting the future, telling you what is going to happen for sure 100%. Because in the Bible, if you've studied it, you know there are predictions in the prophets that never came to be true. Remember this guy Jonah? They went and told Nineveh that they were all going to be destroyed and then they weren't. Was Jonah wrong? Biblical prophets do not necessarily tell events that are going to happen in the future. But biblical prophets tell the truth to people. If you read the Old Testament prophets, you usually see that the language kind of comes off as the prophets are telling people what is going to happen if they continue their behavior. They bring the word of God to a group of people to tell them what they need to be doing. Usually, if you were receiving a word from a prophet, it probably meant you weren't doing something right. It was when you were in trouble that you got a prophet. God sent words through the prophets to people who were turning away from God, from people who were walking away from the goodness and the love and the grace of God. Or put more simply, people who were sinning. So you'll see in the Old Testament, in that prophetic language, there's a word that comes up over and over and over again in all 17 prophetic works. And it's the word return. Now in the Old Testament Hebrew language, this word return has a little bit more of a dramatic meaning than I think the English gives it. Because what this word means is in the direction that you are moving, you must stop, turn around 180 degrees, and begin moving the other direction. 
for any of my military or maybe even band folks, it's an about face. It's to return. In the Old Testament, some of the prophecies did come true because the people did not listen to the prophets and they did not return to the God that loves them. But also, there are some prophecies that did not come true, just like Nineveh and Jonah, because the people repented. And they were forgiven for their sins and they returned to the love of God. They did an about face and moved back towards God. So all the way back in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, it tells us the story of John the Baptist. And it opens up, and I um, like Kendall, so I didn't want to have her have to read all of the weird names in the first three verses. Um, But it opens up by naming some really important people in the Bible. It names political leaders like Pontius Pilate, Herod the ruler of Galilee, his brother, and a bunch of other men who are in charge. And it doesn't just stop at the political leadership, but then it moves on to name who the religious leaders are at the time, like the high priest Annas and Caiaphas. But then, in Luke chapter 3, it names all of these important people, and in the same sentence says, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. The word of God came to a person who had no inerrant political or religious influence over the people at the time. And not even that, John just wasn't some regular, ordinary guy who was standing in the middle of the city talking loud so everybody could hear him. He was literally out in the outskirts of town, far removed from everyone else, standing in the middle of a river. And that's the guy that gets the word of God. And then there's the section that was read for us this morning, telling us what John was doing. John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John, the prophet, was offering a new way for the people to return to God. Now, if I have any Bible scholars or Disciple 1 folks who are, I guess Disciple 2 is New Testament, um, folks who are in the room, you'll notice that baptism has its roots in the Old Testament. It's not just something we came up with in the New Testament. And it has more to do with the cleanliness laws that are given to the people. And if you really want an excellent, um, pleasant afternoon of light reading, Leviticus 15 is a very interesting place to land. Just Don't read it out loud with your mom in the room. might be a little embarrassing. Um, But as the son of a priest, John knew all of these um, random laws that they had to do where they were using water for certain things that were happening to physical bodies when they were uh, made unclean. John knew what it meant for people to be washed with water in a physical sense and how that allowed them to be able to approach, to receive forgiveness and approach the community and approach the tabernacle. And John becomes inspired by this tradition, but takes it a step further, and he institutes baptism. This symbolic washing of what's on the inside of us. Baptism is this outward sign of this inward thing that takes place on the inside of us. 
where we repent and we are forgiven for our sins. Where we stop, we about face, and we move back towards God. Baptism is a sign of our return. So the rest of verse 4 and 5, if you have your Bible in front of you, you'll see it's indented. Um, It's because it's an exact quote from the book of Isaiah. This is from Isaiah 40, which is where a lot of the prophecy about the Messiah comes from. And this is what it says in Isaiah and also in Luke. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, for every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John the Baptist, John the prophet, John the cousin, is the voice crying out in the wilderness that Isaiah writes about hundreds of years beforehand. John is preparing the way for Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus' ministry, baptizing people and offering them God's grace and forgiveness of their sins. If you've ever been to a comedy show, John is Jesus' warm-up act. He's getting the crowd ready for what's next. But I don't want you to miss what might be the most important part in this entire passage. And it's the last thing that it says. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Way back in the Old Testament, we see a prophet, and prophets tell the truth, right? So we see a prophet that tells the truth that salvation's not going to be for certain people born into a certain family living in a certain place, but it is going to be for everyone. This, I think, is like a hint or a wink in Scripture that shows us what's coming later. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. I like to think that it's like God giving us a wink for what's next. And we know what comes next from what we read. It's not just Jews that are welcome with Jesus, but Jesus welcomes Gentiles into the heart of his ministry. And it's not just men or honorable men, it's tax collectors, it's women, it's people of other national origins that are welcome to be in the early church but lead the early church. There's a persecutor of the Christian movement whose name is Saul who has his life changed and then spends the rest of his life perfecting the early church. And then hundreds of years and thousands of people later, All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Friends, that is you and that is me. The most important thing to know about biblical prophecy is that it is not a history lesson. If this book were a history book, y'all would not come to church, right? You don't come to church to hear about history. You come because this book means something to you even today. The original context of why something was written is so important when we are studying the Bible. Who it was written to, why they received that word, what they, were, what they were doing to lead to that word coming to them, and what God did for and with them after. But there are words from God, some delivered through prophets, that we can pay attention to ourselves. 
In the book of Luke, it references the book of Isaiah already showing that the original context of what is written in the book of Isaiah is for that people at that time, but it's also for the people hundreds of years later in the gospel of Luke for those people at that time. So I think it's fair to say that even more hundreds of years later, it's for this people at this time. God has offered us a world where we are given the free will to make choices. And we can make choices that help make paths straight, choices that um, make valleys filled and mountains low and rough ways made smooth. God has offered us the forgiveness of our sins. And not only that, so we just uh, sit in our by ourselves as forgiven, but a place to return and to move back towards God, back to the love and the grace and the understanding of God. God has offered us the sustaining presence which we call the Holy Spirit. And then God pushes us to share God's love with other people, to make choices to bring that love into action. So this morning, as we look through the lens of John the Baptist, I think we are like John the Baptist. We are ordinary people, as far as I can see in here. Some of us may feel like we live on the outskirts of the town, and some of us may feel like we're standing alone in a river. And yet the word of God has been entrusted to each and every one of you. We know God's unconditional love for all of humankind and the good and loving and right things that we are supposed to do because we understand that love. We know that we are supposed to welcome more people into this faith, into this faith community. But also like John the Baptist, we must prepare the way for who is coming after us. I love that at Creekwood we have kids in worship. And I'm reminded of that every week during children's time when something hilarious or something wonderful is happening. And I'm reminded every week when these kids come and they sit on the stairs, there are generations that are coming up after us and they are watching us. Friends, the children that are watching us are watching our behaviors. They see how we interact with each other on Facebook. They see what you do when you disagree with someone. They hear the words of the names you might call a person or a group of people. And they're asking themselves, especially those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, is that what that means? Is that how I'm supposed to act? How I'm supposed to type? How I'm supposed to talk if I'm a follower of Jesus? Don't miss this too. They're watching how you act on Sunday morning. They're also watching how you act on Sunday at 12.01 when there's traffic on Stacy Road. They're watching how you act on Tuesday afternoon when you're having a bad hair day and the coffee's cold and nobody can do anything right. And they're looking at you as a follower of Jesus. We must prepare the way. We must be an example for those that are coming after us. And just like John the Baptist, it's not so that we can be great and awesome and everyone's favorite, but it's so that they will hopefully be so much better than us. 
we may not always be popular for what we do. Remember, John was in the outskirts of town standing in a river. But we're called to stand in a river, to be on the outskirts of society, even if people think we are absolutely crazy, preaching a message of love and forgiveness and repentance, just like John the Baptist did, so that the words of Isaiah can continue to be true, that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now next week starts the season of Advent. And the word Advent comes from this Greek word that I'm only 90% sure I'm pronouncing correctly, Adventus, maybe. Advent is this season where um, we as Christian people prepare for Christmas. Jesus is not born until Christmas Day when we celebrate Advent. We spend Advent in anticipation and waiting. When I think about Advent, I think about this blank page. It's between the Old and the New Testament. This blank page represents hundreds of years that we know things were happening in history, but all they had was the words of the prophet. In Advent, we wait in anticipation, just like John the Baptist did. Now this Advent season, you're gonna hear announcements. It's a lot. Um, we have so many wonderful things happening here at Creekwood. We have live nativity, we have a toy drive, we have carols around the pond, students have Christmas parties. And all of that is before we even get to Christmas Eve. And I'll tell you right now, Advent is the time where people try out new churches. There are lots of people in this room who started coming here during Christmas time. Because it's a pretty safe time to approach a church and see maybe what they're doing, what's going on. So are we ready to welcome all people into this faith community this Advent season? Are we ready to show incredible hospitality and the inviting message of John the Baptist to anybody who's gonna walk in the door? Are we ready to count ourselves as second fiddle, as less important, and be messengers, just like John the Baptist, pointing to Jesus every step of the way so that people experience incredible transformation. As we have six more days of pre-pre-Christmas or pre-Advent, I invite you to be reflecting. How can we prepare the way for others to experience the life-transforming love of God through the celebration of the birth of our Savior? How can we do that in the next month during the Advent season, but also for the next months and years as the generations that are coming up after us are watching us? We must prepare the way, but a way that is loving and kind and generous. We must prepare the way for those who are not here yet. Let's pray. God, we thank you for John the Baptist, for instilling in him the courage to stand on the outskirts of society in a river preaching your message of forgiveness of your salvation for all people. 
And we pray that it, we would continue to be inspired by him. God, let us pay attention to how we are preparing the way. How we who call ourselves followers of you are an example of you everywhere we go and in everything that we do. Prepare our hearts to receive you even more this Advent and Christmas season. And help us to swing wide the doors of Creekwood United Methodist Church so that those who need to come here to hear about your incredible love and grace and forgiveness might be able to do so. God, most of all, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, whose birth we wait for and anticipate. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.